everyone, I'm Megan Sullivan, and welcome back to History and Games, a podcast where I play historical fiction games and talk about the real history behind the game. In today's episode, we're going to continue our discussion on the popular strategy JRPG Fire Emblem Three Houses, developed by Intelligent Systems and Koi Tecmo Games for the Nintendo Switch. And just so you know, there will be massive spoilers for the game ahead. So if you're still making your way through the campaign and don't want to know any of the game's secret backstory, you might want to stop now and come back when you're ready. Are we good? Great. Okay, so in the last episode, I mentioned that the game's backstory is heavily steeped in ancient antiquity, something I think many Fire Emblem fans may have missed. Thus, we talked a lot about Fire Emblem's connection to ancient Egypt via characters like Sothis and Sedith, who are both associated with an Egyptian goddess named Sotet, aka Sothis, aka Sirius, who is a personification of the brightest star in our night sky. But we have another character whose name is linked to Sothis as well. Her name is Seros. But in order to understand how Seros plays into all of this, we actually need to leave ancient Egypt and travel across the Mediterranean to ancient Greece. So let's do that. Seros, or Sirios, is an alternative name for the star Sothis and means sparkling or scorching in Greek. The name refers to both the luminosity of the star and the fact that its heliacal rising, meaning its annual appearance in the dawn sky, occurred during the hottest days of the year. Because the summer months were indeed scorching, and both man and beast, particularly dogs, seemed to go crazy during this time, the Greeks called the days that followed the dog star's heliacal rising dog burnings. And as I mentioned in the last episode, unlike the ancient Egyptians, who thought the star was auspicious, the Greeks thought Seros was ominous, and they associated it with everything from drought to fever to rabies to scorching insanity. And Scorching Insanity is a good way to describe the Fire Emblem character Seros. As I mentioned in the previous episode, Seros was once known as the Immaculate One, the leader of the Divine Nabataeans, who were the children of the progenitor goddess Sothis. But after Anagarthan, named Nemesis, brutally murdered her mother and most of her siblings, the Immaculate One was forced to change her name and go into hiding until she could raise an army to help her against the Agarthans. It was during that time that she became the warrior saint Seros and helped to create a new empire called Adrestia, whose citizens helped her in the war against the Agarthans and their leader Nemesis. But although Seros won against her enemies, the trauma of losing her family, particularly her mother, made Seros wrathful and emotionally unstable. Indeed, you could say Seros goes so crazy, she becomes Astrobolitos, literally starstruck. Now, of course, from Seros's point of view, her anger is completely justified, and everything she does is driven by the need to protect her family. Nonetheless, this scorching anger and need for vengeance often causes her to go too far, even after the war with the Agarthans, when she sheds her Nabataean past and becomes her gentler alter ego, Rhea. And the name Rhea is also very interesting, because it not only ties into more history, it ties into one of Fire Emblem's most prevalent themes— the cycle of vengeance. And we can see that theme in names like Rhea, Nemesis, and even Adrestia, as in the Adrestian Empire. So let's take a closer look at that. And we'll start with Rhea. Who is Rhea? Well, in Fire Emblem, she's Seros's alter ego and the motherly archbishop of the Church of Seros, who offers advice and guidance to the people of Fodlan. In Greek mythology, 
Rhea is a titan and the mother of the Olympian gods. She was originally worshipped on the island of Crete by the Minoans, and her name may be derived from either a variation of the word Ira, which means earth, or from the Greek word Reo, which means to flow, to stream, to run, or to gush. Now, Rhea is usually portrayed as a loving and kind deity, one willing to help mortals in need. And the best example of this is in the story of Tantolos and Pelops. When the evil king Tantolos butchers his son Pelops and offers him up as a dish to the gods, the Olympians are so offended by the sacrilege, they throw Tantolos into Tartaros, the lowest depths of the underworld, where he was forced to spend the rest of eternity grasping for food and water just out of reach. By the way, the name Tantolos is where we get the English word tantalizing. Meanwhile, the gods felt sorry for Pelops and wanted to revive him. And in one version of the story, this effort is led by the goddess Rhea, who has his body parts gathered up, put into a boiling cauldron, and then uses herbs or incantations to revive him. By the way, notice the story of death, dismemberment, and rebirth is a very close parallel to the story of Osiris, whom we talked about in our last Fire Emblem episode. But although Rhea was normally perceived by the ancient Greeks to be caring and nurturing, she wasn't above vengeance. For example, when Rhea's husband Kronos began devouring his own children in the hopes of avoiding a prophecy claiming they'd someday overthrow him, Rhea was so outraged she hid away her youngest son Zeus so that one day he could free his siblings from Kronos' stomach. Then after Zeus does exactly that, Rhea fully supports her children's rebellion against their father. And in her form of Rhea Cabele, an amalgam of two mother goddesses from Greece and Phrygia, which is in the western part of what is today's modern Turkey, Rhea could be quite vengeful and was known to punish human transgression by turning men into either beasts, stone, or even iron. And according to some stories, she even caused her lover Attis to go mad and castrate himself after he fell in love with someone else. This last story may have come into being due to the fact that Kibele was closely associated with an ecstatic, orgiastic cult in which priests actually did castrate themselves, and cult members went into such a divine frenzy they were thought to be possessed by the goddess herself. Which brings us back to Fire Emblem because the character Rhea also has a tendency to go into a divine frenzy, especially when she feels threatened. And when she feels really, really threatened, she doesn't just transform into her scorching alter ego Seros. She transforms into her original Nabataean form, a dragon known as the Immaculate One. Now, the developers are kind of vague about why Rhea's dragon form is called the Immaculate One, but there may actually be a historical through line here. You see, the Immaculate One is a possible reference to a Near Eastern goddess named Anahita. Anahita is the Indo-Iranian goddess of water, fertility, healing, and wisdom. She's usually portrayed as peaceful, but in the past she was sometimes portrayed as a war goddess, and because her iconography includes the goddess either holding up lions or being escorted by lions, imagery very much associated with Rhea Cabela due to her ability to tame wild nature, the Immaculate One was sometimes associated with Rhea Cabela herself. But what about the name, the Immaculate One? Well, it stems from her purity as a virgin and a water goddess. And what's interesting is that if you look at Rhea slash Seros in Fire Emblem, you'll notice she's always wearing lilies in her hair. In ancient Greece, lilies represented purity. And what's really interesting is that the lily also represented an ancient Minoan goddess from Crete that was either an associate of or a form of the goddess Rhea. Thus, we can see the link between the character Rhea, Rhea Cabele, and the Immaculate One. 
But no matter what form Rhea takes in Fire Emblem, whether it's a kindly archbishop, a wrathful warrior, or a crazed dragon, Rhea's arch nemesis is always the same. Nemesis. And yes, that name is also significant. You see, Nemesis, which means to give what is due, was a Greek goddess of implacable justice who punished men for their hubris. One of the most interesting stories associated with her is how after 10,000 Athenians and their Platean allies drove off a much larger invading Persian force at the Battle of Marathon, the Athenians commissioned a victory statue to be made from a block of marble brought by the Persians. That marble was supposed to be turned into a victory statue to commemorate a Persian win, but the Persians ended up retreating, and this bit of poetic justice was not lost on the Athenians, which is why they turned the marble into a statue of Nemesis, she who punishes men for their arrogance. Now in Fire Emblem, Nemesis is an Agarthan who battles both the Nabataeans led by Seros and the empire she helped to create, Adrestia. Since Nemesis is a personification of Agarthan vengeance, his name is highly appropriate, but it's also really ironic because his opponent is Rhea, whose namesake, due to her habit of punishing hubris in the form of Rhea Cabele, was in fact associated with Nemesis. And she wasn't the only one. The ancient Greeks had another goddess of vengeance running around, and her name was Adrestia. In ancient Greece, Adrestia was the goddess of revolt and divine retribution. Her name means she whom none can escape. And it was in her nature to chase down evildoers and avenge those who had been done wrong. Her name was sometimes used as an epithet for Nemesis, and it was thought that even the gods themselves sometimes called on her powers to right wrongdoings. And so it's no surprise that in Fire Emblem, the character Seros, leading a revolt and driven by vengeance, helped to found an empire called Adrestia. In conclusion, you can see the game developers chose all of these names very carefully Adrestia, Rhea, nemesis. They're all tied to the idea of vengeance. And it's this endless cycle of vengeance between the Agarthans and Nabataeans that causes countless tragedies in Fire Emblem. Oh, speaking of Agartha and Nabatea, did you know that those names also have historical and cultural significance? It's true, but in order to understand that, we'll need to move away from ancient Greece and move on to the lost civilization of ancient Nabatea. And we'll do that in the next episode of our Fire Emblem mini-series. But before I wrap things up, I would be remiss if I didn't address one more interesting historical Easter egg in Fire Emblem Three Houses. If you look closely at the names of some of the bad guys in Fire Emblem, you'll notice they're almost all named after ancient Greek philosophers, specifically Thales, Solon, Vias, Pitokos, Mison, and Hylon. These are the names of six of the seven sages of ancient Greece. What is up with that naming convention? Well, I mean, other than it continues our ancient Greek theme. Well, let's try to figure that out. Thales was the first ancient Greek philosopher and was known for his theory that water was the origin of all things. Solon was a great lawgiver in Athens and was famous for both challenging tyranny, which was a popular form of rule in his day, and laying the foundations of what would end up being Athenian democracy. Vias was known as a powerful advocate and a man of sound principle, whose most famous quotes included love prudence and almost all men are wicked. Shilon, or Hilon, was another wise man who helped overthrow a tyranny and believed that, quote, less is more. Pitikos was a victorious general who wrote laws in the form of poetry and whose motto was, whatever you do, do it well. And finally, Mison is another Greek philosopher, although unfortunately we don't really know that much about him. So what's the through line here? 
All of these men were known for their willingness to challenge and even fight back against conventional norms, whether that was in the realm of science, government, or even just basic beliefs. And in Fire Emblem, the descendants of the Agarthans, who are almost all named after these philosophers, pride themselves in challenging conventional norms as well. Although, unlike the Seven Sages, these Fire Emblem characters are actually pretty evil. In any case, it's clear these names are not an accident, and we have yet another cool naming convention going on in Fire Emblem Three Houses. But wait, there's more cool history to uncover, and as I said, we'll talk about that in the next episode. So with that, questions, comments, suggestions, let me know by emailing me at meganhistory, M-E-G-N-H-I-S-T-O-R-Y at gmail.com. Hit me up on Twitter at Megan underscore I-G-N or follow me on Instagram at Celtic underscore Queen underscore Meg. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Bye. <laughs>